0: This is one of those sermons where, uh, at the end of it, I'm going to be asking, so what are you thinking? Uh (laughs) I'll tell you that now, so if you could nominate someone to do the thinking during the sermon, that would be really helpful. (laughs) We're going to look at quite a big chunk today. It's 13 to 14. And uh, it's... Part of this idea of God's ambitious plan where the gospel goes beyond the boundaries that people imagined it would go to. And um, it stems from a multicultural church that then sees the mission of God spilling out into different, into different nations and into different peoples. And what happens from this point on in, in, in the book of Acts is this is going to be the pattern now. Is the pattern where, whereas at one point, you're really talking about one or two church-based, sort of either in Jerusalem or uh, when we were looking at Antioch. But now, it's kind of like the gospel's on the move, and Paul takes center stage because he's the one who's carrying it into all these new places. But his home church is Antioch. That's the church where he belongs, that's the church that he keeps going back to, that's the church that supports him. But the story in the book of Acts now is going to be about how the gospel is engaging in people and with people who've not yet encountered Jesus. When Luke writes the book of Acts, he's writing it not really to give you the history of the church. He's really writing it to churches to say, can you see yourself here? Can you imagine yourself? Can you see how, what, uh, how their experience would help you in your experience of mission? And so when we're reading it, we're doing it with sort of two lenses. It's that bifocal, bifocal stuff again. You're reading it because you're wanting to read it and say, do I really get what was going on there? That's quite important. Can I really get? what was happening, but then you're doing it with the other lens that goes, "Mm, is there something that we are facing, that I am facing, that makes sense in the light of what happened there? In other words, does God work like that again, or is there a situation that I'm facing that's similar to that again? It's, It's kind of what you're doing every time you read the Bible on your own. When you read the Bible on your own, you're doing two things, aren't you? You're trying to work out what on earth does it mean And then you're asking yourself, and what does it mean to me? And that art of asking those two questions is the art we're doing all the time, whether it's preaching or reading on your own. And that's why I want to leave some space at the end to say, so what are you thinking? Because actually that's where that really takes place. Because hopefully you're you're listening and reading through a lens of your own experience that goes, I think I can see what the Lord might be saying to me. And then... All we're left with is, will we do it? So let's start reading uh, from uh, the 13th chapter. Um, It's one of those those chapters where the, the, the division is not quite neat. And so... Um, You might notice that in some Bibles, it actually starts at verse 25 of chapter 12. So we'll start there. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, And Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Just hold that for a moment. The idea of this multicultural church, listen to the people who were there. So there's Barnabas and we've come across Barnabas. Um, almost since the beginning of the book of Acts. He was there as one of these early people who was willing to sell his land and put it um, at the feet of the apostles that they might give it to the poor. Barnabas was from Cyprus. Simeon, called Niger, people imagine he's from North Africa. Niger being a, a recognition that he would be black. You've got Lucius of Cyrene, a Roman citizen. You've got Menaean. Uh, we don't know anything about Menaean except this in brackets that Luke says he's been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. He comes from the higher sort of class of society. And Saul, this man with this background in Jewish tradition. You've got these prophets and teachers in the local church from all different backgrounds. And then God says, out of the five of them, can I have two of them? <laughs> the local church lost Barnabas and Saul. And in the light of what happens, Saul, who becomes Paul, in the light of what we know about Paul as he goes on, Paul becomes the, capital C, church's theologian. He is the most, in, in, um, he's the most influential leader in the church, because he's the one who's really doing that groundbreaking theological thinking of what does Jesus mean? And Antioch are asked, can you let them go? Paul's not going to be your teacher here. Let them go. And so Antioch give Barnabas and Saul to the work of the Lord. They are poorer. The mission of God is stronger. It's a multicultural church and it begins to be this multicultural plan. And then what happens is we've got three long stories. I'm not going to read the whole of the two chapters but I'm going to read part of the chapters and it's kind of important that if you can you can read behind me. There are three stories that follow in chapter 13 and 14 that essentially outline three elements of mission. It's about people who stand up against deceit, people who are willing to stand for more and then people who are willing to stand out as different we're just going to take them one by one so if you've got uh, your bible can you turn with me now to verse four that next part so the two of them sent on their way by the holy spirit went down to seleucia and sailed there to cyprus when they arrived at salamis they proclaimed the word of the Lord God in the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Um, so there's Paphos right down here, and Salamis is, uh, I think Salamis is over here somewhere, isn't it? Those of you who've been to Cyprus might know that better than I do. Yeah?
1: Salamis
0: is in the north. In the north? Up here? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. If you don't know where it is, it's definitely up there. But what they did was they they land there and then they travel all the way down to Paphos. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, I think Luke's playing here with names, by the way. There's something really interesting going on with names. But this guy's known as Bar-Jesus. Bar simply means son of, son of Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and Saul, because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And then Saul, who was also called Paul, a bit like the proconsul called Sergius Paulus, Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. And he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. He was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? When you read that, you think, ooh, that's a bit harsh. Interesting for two things, though. Of course, that Paul's experienced this himself. Do you remember on the road to Damascus? He was blinded for three days. So it's kind of like he's experienced some of this. Now, one of the things that's really important is that we don't come out of this passage saying this. Jesus gives you the power to just bring blindness on other people. That's not that's not the so what of this passage. I think what's going on in this passage is you have a proconsul. Now the proconsul was in charge of the whole island. He had responsibility for a whole island and he has this attendant who's desperately trying to stop the proconsul doing what God would want. He's deceiving him. He's bending him, bending the truth with him. And Paul recognizes that actually if this proconsul is going to be uh, led to Jesus, and therefore if Cyprus is going to be changed, then actually someone needs to stand up against the deceit. And what Paul and Barnabas do is they stand up against the deceit that is Kind of typified by this guy, Elimas. So this guy, Elimas, this false prophet, this sorcerer, is kind of like almost as far away from godliness as you can imagine. He's been the one who's been trying to bend the proconsul away from God. And, And Paul and Barnabas go, that needs to stop. That needs to stop. The first time you see Paul and Barnabas in mission, you realize, actually, this is contested ground. It's not all about just being a blessing. It's not just about being nice. Actually, there's a battle on. And here, it's a really serious battle because the stakes are high. And Paul and Barnabas stand and stand against this deceit. From there, verse 13, um, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. So it's along the coast of what we would call Turkey, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath... They entered the synagogue and they sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of encouragement or exhortation for the people, please speak. And standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, People of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. And what he does from that point on, and Paul always does this when he goes to the Jewish synagogues, and Paul normally begins his uh, mission work in the synagogue, because that's the natural, it's the natural next step for him. They're his people. He belongs there. What he does is he begins and reminds them of their own story. So if you read this, then what he's doing from verse 17 all the way through to verse 22 is he's just doing a very quick recap about being in Egypt, about the new land, about Samuel the prophet, about Saul the king, about David the king. Nobody in that, in that congregation are going, oh, I didn't know that. Every time Saul or Paul, same person, um, every time Paul's there, he's going to tell their own story and then he's going to say, but there's more. There's more. And the more is essentially about Jesus and the resurrection. So if you look down um, and, and just skim down with me, uh, verse 23 from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. Verse 26 brothers and sisters from the children of God, you, and you God fearing Gentiles, it's to us that this message of salvation has been sent. And verse 28, they found no proper ground for a death sentence. But verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 32, we tell you the good news. What God has promised our ancestors, he's fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And then in verse 37 through 38, 9. He's explaining about the resurrection. Now, the thing to remember about this resurrection, and it's kind of interesting for me at least, that Paul always wants to say, the more is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the more. Because it's not that you'll go to heaven when you die. That's not the point of that. The point of it is that God has broken in to this world with his resurrection power. What might be possible now? And I think that if if Paul were here today, the the equivalent of that would be Paul would be coming to people like us and reminding us there's more. And I think some of us would go, we're quite happy, thank you. Don't want your fanaticism. Because to be honest, it doesn't look that great for you, Paul. You keep getting stoned. So we'd rather just stay safe. Because essentially that's what happened. The Jewish people were going, no, we just, just we don't want this. But every time Paul's going and saying, I'm standing here and I'm telling you, I'm standing for more. There's more than you've experienced. And it's the resurrection. And it goes on. Um, actually, they have quite a good time. Verse 42. Um, Paul and Barnabas, as they were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And uh, so they go back. Verse 44. Almost the whole city gathers to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They were, began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. And uh, so they leave. And then they go to Iconium. Iconium. It's kind of, it, it, in, in that 13th chapter, it, it, you know, Paul reminds them that actually the, the, the point of being Jewish was that you'd be a light to the Gentiles and that that's what they in two were going to be. They were going to be this good news to the rest of the world. And um, it's sort of ironic that in chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas are there in Iconium, um, verse 2, the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers uh, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled. It's kind of like the, <laughs> the, the outcome of saying, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. is, okay, well, they'll gang up on you and all. So it's like wherever he goes, there's sort of like this... It's going to gang up. But then they get to this place called Lystra, which is on the coast of Turkey. This is my third and final story. In Lystra, they sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him and saw he had faith to be healed. That's an interesting phrase. It's kind of like this man is receiving what Paul's saying and he's believing it. He has faith that actually his life could change. And he calls out, Paul calls out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted out in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. This is a situation that's got completely out of control. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, you know, this, this history is just like a, a little bit of a backwater place, to be honest. But suddenly, it's like the gods have come. They have a story in their own tradition, by the way, that that would be what would happen. So now, Paul comes, the man's healed, and they're going, the gods have come. So so the priest gets his bulls. (laughs) They're about to slaughter the bulls, get the wreaths. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only humans like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you a turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. And then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up, he went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. Paul is with a new group of people. When Paul is in the synagogue... (laughs) Paul can tell the story of the Old Testament because everybody knows it. When Paul is in a situation where they've got their own gods, their own way of worship, he can't tell the story of the Old Testament because nobody would hold to that. So Paul tells you about creation. He tells you about the kinds of God with the weather, with the crops. He tells you about how God has been there for you. And I want to now come, he will tell you, I want to tell you about Jesus. Sometimes when you're talking to people about faith, you realize, actually, though you're using all the same words, you're not talking about the same thing. It's why the word God is so slippery. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. What sort of God do you believe in? (laughs) And then you realize, actually, we're not talking about the same God at all. Do you believe in healing? Yeah, I believe in healing, but not the same way. Do you believe in sin? Yeah, but... Not the same thing. Do you believe What do you believe? And suddenly you realize that you've, you're sharing the same sort of language, but actually, your story is very different. What happens in this place, in Lystra is two very different stories about how the world is and how the world relates. Clash. And the really interesting thing is, the outcome of this is Barnabas and Paul end up being beaten up. Three stories. Standing against deceit, standing for more, standing out as different. And in the middle of it, that verse. This is what the Lord commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of of the earth and I think when Luke is writing the book of Acts he's wanting people like us to read it and go so how does that make sense for you and your mission how does that work for you one last slide one guy called William Willimon an American said In Luke Acts, any church bold enough to preach the word which dares to challenge the way things are done in society, which refuses to accept that politicians always know best, which is convinced of the truth of its message, which is willing to suffer for the truth, will grow. God gives growth to such churches. And I think that when you're reading the book of Acts, you see this, a church bold enough to preach the word, a church daring to challenge the way things are done, a church refusing to accept that politicians always know best, a church willing to be convinced of the truth of its message, a, a church willing to suffer, that sort of church grows. So let's have a moment for a pause. What seems to be important to you? A sort of like a, a whistle stop tour through two chapters. What seems to be important? What seems to matter? Um, I think for me, it's it's more of how of how it can like translate in, in, into, into modern days. So like when um, so when like Paul is. So, yeah, stand up for a for, for difference. It was when, you know, they were beaten. It's kind of like today, if you were to do it, to like, in Manchester Town, town Centre, you start p- preaching, you'll you probably get funny looks of people calling you crazy. Mm. And, um, and, like, you, might, you, you may get the one person, you know, who starts believing, but mainly you get, you'll get people who will just look at your, what are you talking about? Just, 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 just stop. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think one of the things that's interesting is that what Paul never seems to do is go with a, a sort of a stand and a big poster on Market Street. <laughs> right, he never has ever been to Market Street, I know that. But he never <laughs> actually goes in. What he does, and it's, but it's really important that we hear this, what he does, so in Lystra, he sees a man who's lame. He's—he's he's in that context. He normally goes to synagogues. In other words, I don't think Paul's necessarily going into the marketplace first. I think he's always using the natural sort of uh, pathways. Because in a sense, what Paul knew was, where do these conversations most likely take place in my culture? Now, I'm, you know, I, I know there are Christians who stand on, marketplace, uh, on Market Street and the rest. I'm not actually sure... The extent to which, and I know there will always be some people who will respond to that, and that's fine. But actually, those are not the most natural pathways for the conversations that matter the most. And I think that's why Paul goes to his synagogue. He goes, he's invited to speak. He's invited to share. He's finding the ways of, how do you share this message, but in ways that you're invited to speak in. And then, but but the point that is right is, and then you're not afraid to say, it's different. It's different. So I think that's really important. Thank you, Lorna. Do you know, Maggie? Just while you're wherever you're going, um, <laughs> do you want to switch the fans on again now? Um, in the, do you know where they are? If, if she's wandering out the building, can you stop her? Because, <laughs> yeah, she's had enough. Lorna.
2: And probably a similar sort of thing, but it's, it's like Paul knows how to speak the language of the people that he's actually speaking to, doesn't he? So for us, in our context, when we're, if we're with a particular set of people, we need to perhaps understand where their spiritual language is coming from. Yeah. And that takes... You do have to kind of work at that a bit, don't you? you know, so if you were talking to a group of Muslims, for instance, you would need to understand what yeah. their understanding of God is. And, and like when Paul went to the Areopagus, didn't he? In a, yeah chapter later, he talks about the unknown God and then yeah. introduces our God as, as yeah. that unknown God. Yeah. And it kind of helps people to connect yeah. to what he's saying. I think, that, that,
0: yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Lorna. I think that idea of when, he, when he's in the synagogue, he tells the Bible story because they're on solid shared ground. When he's not in the synagogue, he can't use that story because it's not shared ground. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, there's no point trying to persuade people about the Old Testament in order that you can tell the Old Testament story and prove it's Jesus. You, you start with where they are, and so he starts with creation. So it is about, actually, can you be savvy enough? Can you be relational enough? Can you be emotionally intelligent enough to actually think, where are these people coming from? Because it's not true that people don't believe anything. It's, it's, everybody's got a belief system, but, but where are they coming from? So I think, absolutely. There's Mark behind you. I don't if you want... Ian.
3: I thought it was very interesting the way you started off talking about the land that Paul and Barnabas were going through it, that it was a multicultural but contested Mm. ground. And I think we often forget about that in our own city, in Manchester, particularly here in Salford. Um, We have an Iranian group of people, we have Afghans, we have all sorts of people um who can't speak the language, who need help in that sense. We have people in the clutch of um addiction, homelessness and what have you. And there's so much for us to do. But it's finding the right way.
0: Absolutely. Finding the right language and your dad put something on Facebook from Boaz asking, you know, churches in Salford, a church in Salford that would be willing to receive um, asylum seekers and refugees who can't speak English necessarily very well. And um, you want to say yes, but you recognise that that will then mean a, a, a challenge to all of us. Um, to, to how do you share the good news of Jesus in that way? Yeah, Jill. He's got his racing shorts on today, so it's fine. <laughs>
4: I just waited till you got to the other side and thought I'd give you the longest journey. Um, again, just sort of developing on that point about um, contested space. Yeah. Um, I think it's really easy in the world that we live in to look around and think that there is no space for God, that there is, we live in quite an atheistic society, a society that's quite hostile to God, and that there is no place to have those conversations But this story gives me confidence that actually, even in the most unlikely places, there are people who want to talk about spiritual things, who will settle for lies if they can't get truth, Mm. but want to hear about those issues in their lives, who are facing the same things that we are, but don't have the truth of who Jesus is in the middle of that. Mm. And also I'm remembering that story about um, Uh, Jesus and his disciples going across uh, to, is it the Gadarenes? the The place where the guy is um, so um, struggling to such an extent, so sort of afflicted that he's running around naked, that he is chained and breaks the chains. He's the definition of someone who's absolutely on the edge of society, who needs Jesus like nobody else. Jesus goes and sort of ministers to him and does something amazing and then is asked to leave because they can't handle what he's done. Yeah. And yet that's not the end of the story because he goes back to that place later and finds that the nude guy has become um, a, an evangelist and a preacher and someone who has, you know, won people over. And I think, you know, we, we, we're hearing the beginning of the story in these chapters but persistence brings something
0: else. I think that, you know, particularly your point about this idea of uh, spiritual conversation. Spiritual conversations happen all the time because they're really questions about who am I, why am I here, how do you cope, what's it mean? And in different ways, all of those conversations always happen, uh, are always happening. I've got a friend of mine who, a few years ago, uh, she told me that um, she works at uh, one of the universities in, in Manchester. And um, she saw her colleague coming down the corridor, and he was clearly uh, not himself. And uh, she just stopped and chatted to him, and he was struggling with some stuff in his private life. And she asked a brilliant question. I thought it was just a brilliant question. She said, do you have any inner resources for days like this? Which was a great question. How do you cope on a day like this? And he said, well, I don't know really, but how do you cope on a day like this? And so a conversation happened in the midst of a very liberal, you know, politically correct context that she provoked by asking a really good question in a way that wasn't at all Bible bashing, that wasn't at all using, but using language of, do you have any inner inner resource for resilience on a day like this? That's language that they would use in the university. That's the equivalent of the Lystra language. It's not, do you know Jesus as your personal saviour? So it's kind of like there's So the spiritual things are going on. It's the questions that you would ask. Maybe one or two more. Yeah.
1: And a couple of things stood out to me as we were going through, um, and I don't know if they're a bit linked. The first bit, how so much attention was spent on names at the beginning, yeah. and if it's that, like, identity, and all that comes through, like, the names are so important. Um, but also, when... Saul and Barnabas didn't let them become like gods. It would have been so easy to go, oh, brilliant, yeah, we're celebrated here. But actually, they remembered their identity. They remembered who, what they were doing and why they were there. And they didn't let all the glory go to their heads. They were like, no, this is what we're called for. We're only humans. And I thought, what an amazing response. You've got to be so rooted in Jesus to keep that, that humility. That would have been a better sermon, to be honest. That's a
0: very good... <laughs> <laughs> but
1: yeah, and that how that identity
0: yeah. is yeah. in Jesus. Very good. I think there's also that thing that um, we've seen it just uh, slightly earlier where um, King Herod was, um, uh, do you remember when we read it last week, Um, he's on his throne, delivers a public address, the end of chapter 12. They shout, this is the voice of a God, not a mere mortal. And because Herod didn't give glory to God, he was eaten by worms. I think Paul and Barnabas knew that it wasn't a great idea to sort of say, yes, we are pretty good. Um. But, yeah, I think the identity thing is really important. One more? Yeah, Hannah. And Pearl. That's two. That is two more, I know. But we'll let Pearl have the final word.
2: Um, It's interesting what uh, they were saying is it is a message of joy we're called to bring. Life is miserable. And often what church has fallen into the trap of is condemnation, misery, heaping more and more into the feelings that these people already have. That's not what we're called to bring. The resurrection is a message of joy. It is different. It is change. It is something new. And joy is infectious. That's the point of it. And if we are filled with joy, then we are infectious and we are attractive and it's no longer forced, it's no longer um, hard work.
1: Mm.
2: Great. We are given yeah. the questions, the opportunities, and we just have to change our perspective on what we're looking at.
4: Yeah.
2: And so um, a few months ago, um, I found myself in church worshipping, And God showed me, bizarrely, um, a video game that Ruben plays. And it's called Paper Mario 3D. God is on Earth. God is here. And in Super Paper Mario 3D, you can flit between 2D view and 3D view. And we are called into 3D view. We are called into... Seeing heaven on earth, seeing what God is doing on earth, we just need to choose to change our perspective in how we see the earth.
0: Very good. Preach it, sister! <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah. Pearl, last one. Thank Never you. Never thought
4: we'd get Paper Mario into a,
0: into a sermon. It's brilliant. You most of us have got no idea what you're talking about, but... <laughs> <laughs>
1: What I have to say really follows on from what Hannah said. I was thinking about, when you're talking about the church being bold and preaching and changing society, we quite often feel inadequate and it's so much easier just to stay in our little world. And I was reminded of the eagle's nest and the chicks in the nest. And those chicks are safe and they're comfortable and everything's nice. them Mum's caring for them, they're getting fed but every so often the mum decides to just push one of her chicks out of the nest and those chicks don't want to go. They, they might have felt a little stirring and sometimes we feel a little stirring, it's ready for something new. Um, and you might be feeling there's something else God wants me to do and I'm ready to do something new, but you're scared mm. and God just wants to push you out of the nest and then until you're pushed out of that nest, you're never gonna fly and experience the power of the resurrection.
0: Thanks, Pearl. This week, for all of us, you'll be in situations where God wants to use you. Because He always does. And you'll be in situations where you will be in contested ground, and there's, there'll be situations that you think, actually, God, you need to do something here to stop the lies so that truth can be heard. And you can be confident in your praying God, you've got to stop the lies. You'll be with people who go, I don't need anything else. And you're there saying, actually, there's more. And it is joy and it is the resurrection. It is life. There's more than you've yet experienced. It's like, I think of those people as being the good, honest, salt of the earth type. Believing people. But actually, there's more. And then you'll be with people who have no idea about this story at all and you'll need the creativity of the Spirit. How do I tell this story in different language? May God give us all that we need for that. Thanks for your contributions. They were really good. They were really good.
2: They were great. Thank you.